Welcome to Order Up, the restaurant operations podcast brought to you by Ops Analytica. You know that scene at the beginning of Office Space where Peter comes into work and all his bosses are coming over and they're giving him the riot act about not putting the proper cover letters on his TPS reports and he's going, no, no, I fixed the problem and no one's listening to him. Well, that is the perfect analogy for how so many of us get coached in our businesses. You know, especially hard in the multi-unit world because you're not always working with the same people. And if you're above store leader, you're not always in the location. And so, so often coaching goes from something that's meant to develop an employee, to invest in an employee, to raise them up and and show them love and loyalty, it then turns into this situation where you're just focusing on their last mistake, right? But Ops Analytica has a way to solve that. We track all the metrics on your employees, how well they're doing their job, how organized they are, how they may or may not understand certain aspects of their position. And you can use that data to effectively coach and invest in your employees to make them better, okay? Data-driven coaching is the wave of the future. It doesn't rely on their last mistake or what other people think of them. It's a true measure of how well they're doing and your employees will love you for it. Check us out at opsanalytica.com. Hey, what's up, Order Up Show? It's Tommy. I am back with another interview. Please welcome to the Order Up Show, Scott Gitrich. How are you doing, Scott? Doing great, Tommy. How's it going? Oh, man, I'm living the dream. Uh, we just had a major thunderstorm blow through, and uh, you know now it's done and quiet, so it's perfect podcast recording time. <laughs> so... The show is really simple, Scott. We're going to ask you five hard-hitting journalistic questions, and we're just going to go through and have a nice conversation. Um, are you ready to get started? Sure. Get as hard-hitting as you possibly can, and I'll oh. see if I can uh, get my way through it. Oh, yeah. It's going to be crazy. Uh, <laughs> question number one, explain what you do today, and then take us through your career progression from your first job until today. Well, what I, I'm uh, I'm the CEO uh, and founder of Topper's Pizza. Uh, Topper's Pizza is a 69 uh, restaurant franchise chain headquartered in Whitewater, Wisconsin, and we're the place that makes craveable QSR pizza. So uh, I'll uh, I'll describe where I've been. I'm uh, you know any good restaurant story, as far as I'm concerned, starts off with. I made a dollar fifty-five an hour scraping baseboards back when I was twelve years old, uh, and I've got my version of that. I was fifteen years old, started as a, at an Arby's, uh, and I'm fifty-eight, so I've been in restaurants for forty-three years. Uh, I uh, really learned my uh, my chops in the restaurant business at Domino's Pizza back in the '80s. Worked for a franchisee for uh, for seven and a half years. Um, had a lot of fun and pride in, uh, you know, in delivering fast pizza, um, back when, uh, pizza delivery was really emerging to tell you the truth, which is a distant memory right now. But, uh, you know, I, my wife and I fancied that we could, uh, upend pizza delivery in, uh, 1991 by, you know, as we saw it, uh, making pizza the right way from scratch, uh, homemade in the stores. You know, we were, of course, assembling uh, assembling pizza and cooking it kind of conveyor style and really just focused on fast delivery is what the business that I'd learned. Um, and, uh, you know, we believe that we could bring variety and handmade to uh, to pizza. Often we say that we wanted we want to respect pizza, <laughs> pizza being the greatest food on earth. Yeah. deserves to be uh, handmade uh, from scratch with good stuff. So, uh, you know, and the other part of, of our founding vision was that we would uh, be the variety place. Back when Topper started in 1991, we were one of the first places that we knew of that had chicken on pizza. And we had a taco pizza and, you know, did unusual things with pizza. And, uh, you know, today... That's how our customers still see us as uh, the quality and variety, bold flavor and recipes place. 
And sure enough, we still are in the QSR space and we, uh, you know, we look to, we look to deliver pizza to folks, uh, every Friday night if they'll, uh, if they'll allow us to. So, um, you know, toppers is 30 years old, uh, a few days ago and going strong. We, uh, we'll, we'll grow this year in 2021 by, uh, four or five stores. We'll grow by eight or nine stores next year. Uh, you know, like anybody in our space, we have a really strong uh, technology uh, footprint. Um, we've invested millions of dollars over the last few years in that incredible storefront online, toppers.com. And about 73% of all of our customers uh, order from Toppers Pizza uh, digitally. So, um, yeah. That's uh, that's who I am, where I come from, uh, from a professional standpoint, at least. Yeah, that's wonderful. I'm looking at this loaded tater mac and I'm going, my type two diabetes is saying no, but my mouth is saying yes. Yeah, <laughs> yep, yep. the recipes that we're known for are uh, sometimes kind of off the wall. Um, but uh, that's what customers love about us is that we're constantly rotating through uh, really killer recipes and trying new things. And, you know, you can, I love pepperoni pizza myself. And I uh, probably, if I could eat one food before I died, it would probably be pepperoni jalapeno pizza from Toppers. But but uh, we like to be the place that, uh, let's just say spices it up and does some crazy stuff on pizza. That's awesome. You know, it's interesting, like you said, pizza is that world food. And we just went to Iceland in France like two weeks ago uh, on a family vacation. And Iceland, like my son ate more pizza in Iceland and France than he does in the U.S. You know what I mean? Like he was just um, so crazy. Uh, like it was just everywhere. Like we actually, the first night we spent in Iceland, we ate at a pizza joint. Like in this little town, Grindavik, on like in a port. And that was like one of the few restaurants that was open. So it, it truly is like, it doesn't matter where you go. You're going to be able to get pizza. Oh, yeah. You know, first, I want to say your son is a good boy. Um, <laughs> you've raised you've raised him right if he's eating pizza everywhere he goes. Yeah, you know, it's one of those uh, tough things about my job that I have to eat pizza everywhere I go. And so I've never been to Iceland, but I've had plenty of pizza in Paris and all over the world. It's uh, it's pretty fun to land in a new spot and say, where's the pizza place? Well, and you know, and actually too, what they were doing in Iceland, which I would say is a travesty, but it was like, I think the Iceland pizza was pineapple and pepperoni. Oh my gosh. The only bad pizza, my wife, if you ask my pizza, has Scott ever had a bad pizza? She'd say yes, in Jamaica. And we've got this terrible story about a pizza in Jamaica and it involves pineapple. <laughs> well, tell us, let's hear it. I want to hear how bad this pizza was. Okay, so yeah, we had a driver and we said, take us to a take us to a pizza place around here. So uh, he drives us into this, of course, very rowdy neighborhood and he takes us basically into this uh, parking lot where there's a, a, you know, like a camper and uh, there's no sign or anything, but it had a little window open. It's one of these things where I get out of the car and I walk up to the window and the window's about at my chin, you know, <laughs> yeah. looking into this place. And I ordered uh, two pizzas uh, and uh, I said, you know, what kind of pizza should we get? What would you recommend? What, what do the locals get? And he said, okay, I'll take care of you then. I'll, uh, I'll make it right. I'm going to make you a pepperoni and jalapeno. And I'm like, all right. So first he makes a pepperoni pizza and he's putting it in the oven. And I said, uh, hey, I thought you were going to make pepperoni pineapple. I said, yeah, 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 just hang tight. You'll see how we do it. So he cooks this pepperoni pizza and he takes it out. Uh, it's kind of like a toaster oven sort of thing. Sure. He takes it out and uh, puts it on this table and he gets down below in this refrigerator and he pulls out this like Tupperware. Ugh. It's got, you know, canned pineapple in it. And he reaches in with both <laughs> and grab these two fistfuls of this wet pineapple oh. and dumps it in the middle of this pizza and spreads it out with his hand. I mean, I'm serious. It was like, I don't know, three quarters of an inch of pineapple in a just a fat layer completely across this thing. And it was exactly like it looked. It was completely soaked through. I mean, it was just mush. You couldn't even eat it. 
Well, so. also, I like I know that like ingredients don't magically float from like make tables to like uh, finished <laughs> food, but I don't <laughs> like to see people's hands, you know, smearing things around. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I just I know that pulled pork is actually sometimes pulled by hand, but I don't need to see that. And I've been in the like I'm like you. I started at 14 making cheesesteaks at the mall where I grew up. So like. You know, I've been in this business uh, 30 plus years now, and it's just, those certain things still get to me. So I have a, uh, an opposite pizza story that I was in Key West with my parents in like 1990. I still early in my restaurant days. And I think Kelly McGillis from like Top Gun owned a restaurant there. And they had a, it was, I don't know if it was her restaurant. I can't remember. It was obviously a long time ago, but there was a pizza joint there, but it was like kind of like what you're talking about. They did a little crazy and they would put, fettuccine alfredo or spaghetti on pizza yeah and we do that at home we'll order pizza from our uh, one of the places around here and we'll put meatballs and spaghetti on the pizza and fold it in half so good yeah i love it we put noodles on pizza my wife and i did a pizza crawl in key west uh walking uh Roy what's the main drag there oh um, i know it's uh i'll look it up I was actually just looking to go down there, but the flight. gosh, I can't believe I can't remember it. Anyways, yeah, my wife and I did a a pizza crawl, which we do sometimes. We'll be in some new place, and for dinner, what we'll do instead of picking a restaurant, we'll do a pizza crawl. Nice. So we'll go to like four or five places and get a slice and eat half of it, and just go that's on great. up and do some sampling. That's great, Duval Street. Duval, that's right. Yeah, uh, and I, I don't remember that personally. I had to go search it, but yeah. That's wonderful. So your 69 locations, how many corporate, how many franchise? Just out of curiosity. Yeah, 25 company restaurants and 44 franchise, 44 franchise restaurants. So we've got uh, 17 or 18 franchisees that obviously a lot of them have three, four, five stores. A lot of them very good friends that have been around a while, restaurant people that are very passionate about what we do. So we've, we, uh, we're in a pretty neat place uh, here on the on the heels of COVID. We uh, famously have had a really great run because of uh, our place in the world as delivery professionals and uh, technology and everything that kind of mattered during the last eighteen months. Yeah, but, uh, we're uh, we're pretty excited about the future, sitting where we are right now. So uh, we've got our development turned up on high right now and. A lot of interest in uh, from people to open pizza delivery places. If you can believe that, we're pretty excited about the future. Oh, I, I can totally believe it because pizza blew up, you know, during COVID. I mean, like it just, it, you, you know, I don't know why. I mean, I don't know why French fries don't travel well, but pizza does because they're essentially the same thing. Right, like in the respect of you've got a hot food that needs part of it needs to stay crispy and you have to put it in a container for whatever reason, pizza crust can hold on it and french fries really struggle. And so, but I mean, you know, pizza is already the king of delivery, anyways. And so, just yeah, it's wonderful. That's great. Yeah, that, that's it. That's it. I mean, you know, not every pizza travels well. Um, those True. of us. Uh, those of us that really focus on it use a high protein uh, flour, usually flour that that's gonna stand up a little better, and use some different processes and recipes that uh, that work. You know, if you want that super tender crust baked at a thousand degrees in one minute, then that's a pizza that tastes pretty good for about five minutes, but you're not gonna deliver it pretty well. So, sure. Wow. You know, I'm always amazed at how much, like, people just like a, a lay person or even someone who doesn't really work in the back of the house would look at that and go, you know, they just go get pizza crust and they make pizzas. I don't understand what you're talking about. But when you really become a scientist of the pizza, right, then every aspect of the pizza, every ingredient has to be dialed in perfectly. Like how thick are the pepper slices? How thick are the onion slices? How big are the pepperonis? You know, what's our cheese blend? 
how much gluten and everything is in the crust. You know, are we doing our oven? Are we temping and testing our oven and belt speed and our units so that we know that we're getting a proper bake, not only so that the pizza comes out right, but that our throughput doesn't slow down. You know, like every part of it has to be thought through by like a food scientist, not just a chef, right? It's a chef and a food scientist working together to go, okay, how does this all come together to make it work correctly? Oh yeah, it's what I love about capitalism that there's a zillion people thinking about every detail. <laughs> and, and then most of us get to take what other people do for granted. But yeah, you know, it's not only uh, make, having those great, uh, those great systems and recipes, et cetera, that work in one restaurant, but the beauty of uh, working so hard to make it work in a number of restaurants is you have to be so on your game to be able to execute, you know, made from scratch recipes at 69 restaurants that, uh, you know, you, uh, you just get good. Let's just put it that way. Um, yeah. And uh, of course, it's not just about being great in the in the kitchen. It's also teaching a bunch of people how to how to be great in the business, taking care of customers and hospitality. And, you know, that base thing that we all know and love, which is when you meet somebody that's had their career in hospitality, then you know that you're standing in front of a humble, hardworking person that loves people and knows how to knows how to work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've said this a bunch of times on the podcast, but. I guarantee you that the CEO of the biggest restaurant companies in the world, you know, whatever, let's just say McDonald's, and that guy's in a store visiting a store. If he sees trash on the floor, he picks it up. He doesn't tell someone to pick it up. He picks it up. I guarantee he's busting tables. He's wiping down stuff. You know what I mean? Like, that's just, that's our business. That's what's wonderful about it is that it kind of keeps you grounded. You know what I mean? Because oh, yeah. your job is to make sure those tables are clean and it, it's not to yell at people to go do it. It's to lead by example and to clean the table when, okay. when everyone else is busy cleaning the other table, right? That, that's uh, it. I mean, when I meet somebody in the hospitality business, to me, it's like I'm meeting a brother in many respects for that exact reason. I feel like I get them and they get me. Now, there's maybe people that aren't quite a fit to that, but by and large, the vast majority yeah. <laughs> are, are those kind of people. You yeah. know, it's, uh, I sometimes say it's like vampires, you know, they're, <laughs> There's plenty of people in the world that look down on uh, restaurant people for one reason or another, but then there's those of us that it uh, it touched us some way. It was an opportunity, uh, you know. It was our first job. However, we fell into it, and uh, we fell in love and and create great lives there. Yeah, and well, and you know, it's interesting you say that because you know, and I've been preaching this a lot during this entire like hiring nightmare now the reality of the hiring nightmare is this if you have a great culture you're developing people from within you're training them you're empowering them you're giving them the best technology and you're treating them like human beings and part of a family you're not having a problem right and if you're busy you're not having a problem right now because the top restaurant chains they aren't they were proactively hiring six months ago ahead of time right there, like, and I know a lot of, there are a lot of hourly employees that are sitting out until the end of September or whenever their their whatever runs out. But for the most part, the people that were running great businesses are still pretty well staffed. It's all the people that were kind of getting by before, maybe didn't have the great managers, maybe weren't making the proper investments into the people and stuff. Those people are this has really hit them ten x harder because they weren't in a great spot to begin with. You know what I mean? And so. Oh yeah, I mean the the great great managers, great leaders. They have it easy no matter what the environment is. When it's when it's good, they have it better. When it's bad, they have it better. So that's always true. Um, you know, one of the things that we really had going for us is we were we were committed throughout COVID uh, in staying open. So uh, most of our stores are open from ten thirty in the morning till two or three in the morning. We're a very late night place um and even though our late night business shriveled up to about nothing there last you know june july august uh, we decided to keep our hours and our days full on open we offered all of our services that we were uh, allowed to to offer 
And so we kept our staffs, staffs up. We never uh, let anybody go. We never laid anybody off. Uh, we staffed and dominated through COVID. And so we were very blessed as uh, we came into this, you know, kind of, I don't know what to call it anymore. I was calling it post-pandemic era, but, uh, you know, we had staffs. I can't imagine the people that they closed their stores or closed Monday, Tuesdays and, you know, closed at 8 p.m. or closed for lunches or all those kind of people who are trying to restart big parts of their business. Oh, my gosh. And, yeah. you know, I'll also say that sophisticated uh, business people. So, you know, the people who have really taken the biggest hit, of course, are these uh, are the one offs or the I hate to say mom and pops, but uh, single unit operators. Yeah, single single store people, single restaurant people. You know, the the more sophisticated people are just gonna say, okay, we've got to up our game, we've got to pay, we've got to do whatever, we've got to put in technology. They're they're just not gonna take no for an answer and they're gonna run a business. I mean, yeah. so you're not just running a restaurant, you're also running a business, and this is an environment that requires uh, challenged people to step up and run a business also. Yeah. That's really a great way to put it because, you know, you saw it, like I had one client and they didn't even like, they didn't even like try to do a takeout program. And they were like a salad bar steakhouse, like an Applebee's with a salad bar. And like, they like, they just shut them all down. Now they were in New York and New Jersey. So that, but they, I'm sure they could have still been open doing delivery and takeout. They didn't even give it a shot, man. They just shut their doors, you know? And oh, yeah. Like, what? But then the, I see other And, and look at the stories of people who took a shot at something and accidentally found a vein of, yeah. of incredible business. I mean, our business is, is a lot different than it was 15 months ago. You know, it's it's just more of the same. It just happened faster. You got to you gotta shuck and jive. Yeah, you know, I mean, the that's again it's true in any business the people who say no this is the way we always did it or uh you know are stuck in the the way it has to be uh even if they survive now you're not going to be long for this world and uh that's what's happening here i mean there is a good part that's happening here it's definitely been a punch in the stomach to a big part of our uh, industry which is hard to see i uh you know, I really feel for those people that that took it on the chin or closed their restaurants. I mean, I know, I know restaurants that closed that have been around. Heck, there's one in Madison that's been there for like 75 or 80 years. It closed. It's like, oh my gosh. Um, but uh, but there's green shoots out there. There's plenty of opportunities. There's going to be a lot that happens, and that's where we're focused. Is you know, we've uh, in the last year we've out a line of plant-based food and uh, kind of new quality innovation that hits the Toppers brand. Um, you know, that's that's uh, we think is a place that that you know is underserved in our segment. Um, I mean, just innovation is where it's at. The customer just is. The customers are out there. You just gotta you gotta just serve what serve them what they want and figure out what fits your brand and what you can do and what they want. Well, and you know, yeah, like, you know, it, it's so true though, you said a little bit earlier that just like the, and then other, like some people just shut up their doors and said, you know, I can't deal with this anymore. I'm just done. And they probably needed to go anyways. And this was a nice way to get them out of the industry quicker. And, and I say that like from the position of when I worked at Quiznos, my first job at Quiznos back when they were still really big, but starting to lose restaurants was uh, in the um, customer um I was there to help support failing franchisees and um, and I would watch these people hold on for so long and they would just accumulate more and more debt, but they basically would never quit because this was a dream and they needed to be fired and they got fired by their landlords, their distributors or their creditors, right? Some of those, one of those three people fired them and said, we will no longer do business with you. And that was the impetus that they needed to leave. So some of the people for in COVID just said, maybe, you know, let's say that bottom 20% of, of restaurants, just a general number, a lot of those people just needed to get fired and COVID was the person who decided to fire them. And then they didn't have to say it was their fault. They could just say, well, COVID killed my business, right? 
And, and so those guys left and that's good because that's freeing up a lot of space that for emerging brands or people who want to expand their operations, they'll be able to find some space, hopefully at a discount. Um, but then, yeah, other people just got after it, man. They didn't, they just went, they went, oh crap, there's a whole other thing going on here. What is, well, how do I stay in business? And then they just went after it. We have a Mexican joint here in town, like four or five units, high volume, couple million, probably a couple million dollars each per unit. And the guy just didn't even have a website or an app or anything. He just put his phone number out. Call us and we'll take your order and we'll walk it to your car in the parking lot. And they put cones up in the parking lot and they're like, this is what we do now. And guess what? He kept in business. You know what I mean? People wanted Mexican food and it was like, you know, it was amazing. It's great you know what? I don't know too many Mexican restaurants that close. As a matter of fact, I can't think of one. I'm yeah. sure I'm sure there were plenty, but uh, you know, some people just know how to fight, and fight means different things at different times. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so let's get to question number two. What yeah. is the big project or initiative that you're working on right now? Yeah, um, that's a good question. Uh, we're uh, this is going to sound terrible, but we're relaunching our mobile app. So uh, that's a big, big initiative that's coming out here in the next few days. So we're pretty excited about that. Like I told you, we do 73% of our business uh, online uh, on digitally right now. And uh, it's fun to be uh, relaunching an app because uh, it was uh, anyways, that's a, that, that's a big initiative that rolls out here. Um, but really we're spending uh we're spending a lot of our energy right now ramping up the development side of our business. It's uh, new franchise development, just to new be clear. Franchisees. So we've uh, we've uh, brought on some uh, some great people, uh, increased the resources that we have, uh, messaging uh, about the opportunity. Um, you know, it's real estate. It's it's we're investing into into restaurants, company restaurants. Um, so you know we have a lot of momentum towards our menu innovation and variety and and uh, uh, technology. Uh, so now we're really in this great position to exploit this opportunity that you really were talking about, which is there's there's you know dependent on who you believe, sixteen to twenty five percent fewer restaurants than there were two years ago. Yeah. Um, there's real estate available. Money is cheap. Uh, we are exactly the kind of concept that is working right now, which is we self-perform delivery. We operate in a small footprint. We're yeah. technology driven. We're made from scratch, high quality, bold recipes and variety. I mean, we're just kind of sitting there fresh, uh, for people in a space that's very favored right now. So, uh, it's maybe not a great, uh, kitchen or you know rest restaurant answer but we're focused on store development we're growing well and what i would be looking at too is you know how can i convert these strip center locations that were subways because they're going to be dropping like flies and then um other other strip center like how how can i have a footprint that works for my business but that i can just take over existing strip center space preferably someone who has, I don't even think you need hoods, do you? Because you just have impinger ovens, I would assume. You might even need hoods. So like, how can I do, like, how can I make this work in 1,100 square feet, 1,000 square feet? It used to be a subway. And how can I make that, how can I rip out their mill work and make it my own for as cheap as possible? You know what I mean? And and make it yeah, work. We've done, we've done a couple of conversions here in the last year of, uh, competitors that had nice real estate but yeah. for whatever reason didn't didn't uh didn't make it um we uh we're definitely looking at our prototype we've always been a small footprint concept but we're reducing our uh prototype footprint from about 1600 feet to probably 12 1300 feet nice um you know our uh what little dine-in and lobby we had looks looks even you know even a couple hundred feet looks 
looks uh, useless now. We're doing so much. People just pull up in front and we deliver to them curbside, the vast majority of people that were coming in. So sure. Uh, I'm sure dining and walking in restaurants and sitting down, I mean, I love to do it. Uh, I'm sure that's going to survive and come back, but that's not our place. Our place is, uh, is curbside, carry out, self-performed delivery, uh, third-party delivery. Uh, that's where we live, um, right there with those self-performed delivery folks. Uh, we just are the uh, high-quality, made-from-scratch people in that space. Yeah. No, I mean, every time I go into a restaurant, I look at all the space in the restaurant and I'm like, oh, what are you doing? This could be half this size, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Everything's too big for me. I want like a 300 square foot restaurant and it's 200 feet of cooler and then like an oven. That's all. That's all you need. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was lucky enough when I worked at uh, Domino's uh, back in the 80s, we had a a couple of restaurants and stadium kind of uh, locations that, uh, you know, were just mega volume. Yeah. We had, a, there was a, we had a store in a basket, in a, in a NBA basketball stadium that uh, at one point had the record number of uh, pizzas made per hour. It was like 1700 and some odd pizzas made in an hour. And the real story of that store was, how small it was it, <laughs> that whole entire kitchen would fit in like a third of a normal little pizza kitchen. You know, I mean, yeah. it was a closet. It was ridiculous. So, you know, necessity. Yeah. I love, I love being in a space where it's about efficiency. I'd say, you know, efficiency these days is not just about the small footprint. It's, it's largely about technology. Um, yeah. You know, we uh, we made our we created our own software uh, for you know our entire e-commerce solution, uh, our point of sale system in the restaurant, and the data that our managers use. We built it all from scratch, and uh, it's so fun because now uh, our CFO geeks out on this. We'll we'll roll out some new uh, functionality. And you can see uh, right there on our graphs, you can see certain things. You can see, in some cases, you can see the average unit volume actually jump up right then. He'll actually put on the graph this technology rolled out right here. The other, the other stat that you'll see uh, that's, that's always like that, we call it efficiency, but it's, it's orders per uh, man hour, per person hour. And that's gone from like 1.2 orders per man hour uh, in 2018 to it's over 1.7. So, uh, you know, it's kind of a geeky number, but it essentially means that a person is basically able to do almost 50% more orders uh, per hour and run the same service standards, still make our food from scratch. And the vast majority of that gain has been technology. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, and that's just another advantage that business people that are running restaurants have over, you know, some of these people that are great kitchen people, you know, have great recipes, great hospitality, but they're not as sophisticated a business people. Um, you know, it's not everybody, of course, I'm not, I shouldn't be generalizing, but, uh, you know, I just see a lot of really great restaurants that I hope survive. And I just know that it's going to be hard for them. Well, I mean, we always call them dinosaur operators, right? Like in our, our line of work. And it's the guy who came up in the eighties and nineties, you excluded because you're a big tech guy, but you know, there's a lot of guys out there that just part of being a restaurant and being in restaurants was that you didn't have to deal with technology. They didn't want to be on computers. They didn't want to be on their phone. We had to drag them crick kicking and screaming into email. And those, some of those guys are still out there today, area managers, VPs of ops, and, and they just are not open to embracing what this technology can do. And in our world, right? Like, so our platform is an operations management platform. So what we do 
is we help managers take the guesswork out of running the business. So we tell you, hey, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do this at this time. And we're really focused on food safety and customer readiness so that you're not running in the middle of the shift to the walk-in to go get peppers because they're peppers in the region and you're sure as hell not slicing anything during the rush. You know that you got everything done. It was safe and good to go. And so many people fight this technology sometimes. And uh, it's either because they don't like technology is one thing that is true. The other thing is a lot of people are afraid that they're going to get blamed for how bad things are once people kind of get see what's going on. And, but that could also be flipped to, oh my gosh, look at all the data we have now. We can make all this better. You know what I mean? You can, you can approach that from a glass half empty perspective. Oh, they're going to fire me for screwing up or a glass half full perspective. Hey, look at all this new access and visibility that I never had. We are going to get this team really using this data to do better. You know what I mean? It, and these guys are just, it's amazing what these dinosaurs can do to your business. You know? Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's only a matter of time. So you don't need to fret about people too much because yeah. it's it's that's what's beautiful about capitalism. If they can make it, then more power to them. But yeah, the writing's on the wall. It's uh, I don't know. It's it's kind of crazy at this point to not embrace technology. You know, the way we look at it is. Uh, you know, we've got 70 restaurants times we $400,000 or so to build a restaurant. So $28 million has been spent to build these 70 restaurants. And yet we do 73% of all of our business happen on a storefront called toppers.com. Yeah. You know, it's a store that people go into and they visit and they shop and they get served and they, you know, ask where their pizza is and they, you know, get what they want. Yes, we make a physical product that we're very proud of and our team members are there to show up at their door or hand it to them out in their car in the parking lot or whatever. But, uh, you know, it's it. if you just think of it that way about where customers are spending their, spending their actual time, even those dinosaurs are watching Netflix like, hello. I know. <laughs> well, it's amazing to me too, just because like in our little line of work, like, you know, people like get so, and I get this because a lot of bad salespeople and a lot of like very early stage technology was implemented without being fully vetted. And then, you know, people had very bad experiences and it actually hindered the restaurants. But at this point in time, if you've never filled out a form on the internet, then you really don't belong in American modern society. Like everybody has, like there is no, you know what I mean? Like it's just, this this stuff's so ubiquitous. It's crazy how they could use that software in their own personal lives, like you just said, but then they don't want to implement it at work. And one of the things that, you know, we're just always, you know, and, and what I also find very interesting is that people won't say that's a dumb idea. We shouldn't use more technology. They find smarter ways to get around it. Like, the teams are really stressed right now with the amount of change we've been pushing on them. And, you know, it's just, there's so much going on. We need to push this to, you know, two quarters from now or whatever. And then, you know, it's just very interesting to me. Yeah. I mean, there's a certain element of be true to who you are. And I guess that's what some people might say uh, who are clinging on to old ways. It's, it's, uh, it's really, knowing what that true thing is that you are and how your customers perceive you and being true to that. And, uh, you know, by and large technology can fit, fit brands and how people deliver. I do think that something that is interesting to think about that I think about is, uh, you know, so many people kind of famously young people, you know, want to shop anonymously, maybe interact physically less often and do things online, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and yeah, maybe that's, you know, the trend now, and that's a vast majority of interactions, uh, people desire to do it online. And we're certainly uh, banking on that. But I do think that there's a place, uh, I still think that there's going to be some place for, uh, you know, those two and a half hour, uh, meals that oh, of course. you go out and sit down and uh 
you know, so it's like a lot of, of uh, what's hap what happens in business is it's just becomes extremely fractured and the people that win are the customer, you know, who basically wants to be able to have access to anything they dang well please. Yeah. Well, and let me ask you this question. Uh, and I might actually, I, I just was thinking of this question, but what do you think uh, makes, what do you think is the, the, is what makes a restaurant company successful versus mediocre? Because I look at the, the, the uh, real quick, I'm a big believer in the 80-20 rule, right? I think 20% of the restaurant companies are making 80% of the profits and 80% of the restaurant companies are going from nothing to very low profits and they're just sort of in between and they're just kind of okay meals. So what separates a great restaurant company? Like what are the traits of a great restaurant business or you know hospitality business versus those guys that are just eh. mm. um wow that's an interesting way to ask ask that question um what separates people i mean i think that people separate separate themselves so Certainly what I think is the key to Topper's longtime success is the actual culture, the people, the, uh, we don't put up with crappy people. Uh, you know, we have an extremely high standard to be in our family, uh, to do what we do. Um, people that care, people that, uh, are drinking the toppers kool-aid uh believe that we're the best uh live with integrity uh work their asses off uh have a ton of fun uh cling on to each other teach the person next to them so i don't know it's kind of it it's how i'm wired and how toppers ends up to be wired is that people make the difference so sure. you know i I mean, hell, we're in the pizza business now. Almost seventy percent of all of our sales come from products that the you know our QSR pizza competitors don't sell. So we're definitely differentiated in that way. Um, but we're a pizza place. I mean, we're you know we're what a lot of people are like. Oh my gosh, another pizza place? Are you are you kidding me? I mean, that's what I've been hearing for thirty years. <laughs> um, you know, so I, I believe in executing at a very high level, your recipes and the food and the hospitality and business. Um, but at the core of it, none of those things can overcome if you just don't have the right people who believe and are uh, coming to work every day and making it happen. And uh yeah. So if I had to have one thing to start over again, I'd start with the people and the culture and I would figure out the recipes and the logos and the business models and the tables and the, yeah. <laughs> I think I could figure I'd figure that stuff after I got the people. Sure. It's that good to great book. You got to have the right people on the bus, right? Yeah. And it was interesting because I'd never asked that question before, but I'm always thinking about all this stuff, right? Um, Cause I write a lot of the content for our, platform and I do the, the podcast and everything. And I, and I was saying culture in my head while you were saying culture out loud, but where I would have also put on there, yes, it's the people and it's the culture, but I also think the cult is a, I would suggest it's a details oriented mm -hmm. operations first culture, as well as the people that are executing that culture, because I've worked at Quiznos when it was going out of business, right? And I saw that whole implosion firsthand. And I also worked at P.F. Chang's when they were the hottest thing in town. And and we had a 90-minute wait to eat on a Monday night. And I've been at both. And, you know, and I've you know, been around mom and pops, everything else. And, and what I would say is, and you mentioned it earlier in this thing, like you're making a ton of from scratch very detailed recipes pizzas you know and it and it that you can't do that with made from scratch fresh ingredients unless you're not already detail oriented 
right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, like we're all dumbing these menus down and we're, we're moving on ingredients and we're doing more pre-made and all that other stuff. But what I think is one of the big things that's getting lost in the restaurant industry right now, and I think it gets worse every year because I just think people are more distracted every year um, and standards seem to go down a little bit every year. It feels like, but I don't know. That's absolutely true. It just feels that way. But like the details, it's all, I mean, running a restaurant is not about saying I want to run a restaurant. It's about doing 10,000 little things, right. Pulling all those little levers, you know, so that everything can kind of happen the way it's supposed to when the rush starts. Yeah. And I think that's why, you know, as a franchisor, uh, it's incumbent on us to have these systems Absolutely. that really people can execute pretty easily so that the details get taken care of without having to have, you know, these, the, these incredible human beings who, you know, take months and months to train to do such and such, uh, you know, that's, we've got somebody on our, uh, on our team that, you know, people will say the key to our business is excellent operators. And then he'll say, no, the key to our business is having a great system that is excellent in the hands of average people. Yep. And, and it, it sounds like a slap in the face, but if you really listen to him, it's incredible because it puts the, you know, it says, Hey, people are people. And uh, if, you know, there's, you know, a little over 2000 toppers team members. And if we're going to be great, it can't hinge on 2000 team members being these, incredible restaurant people who have been trained for you know long periods of time it has to be it has to be able to rely on the system yeah you're not toppers filled with cordon blue chefs you're toppers pizza yeah no, yeah it is it's all systems and process it's all systems process and data and and if you understand those three things then you can have your systems and process, you have your processes in place, you use systems to manage those processes, you take the data out, you look at the data, and then you adjust the processes and the systems based on real world feedback, and you create a loop that constantly makes you better. And that's how you stay, you make, you can become rich in this business. You know, 80% of restaurants close, but the 20% that are staying up and those people are making pretty good money. <laughs> you know, I've had, I've been on both ends of that I've never, I've never closed obviously, but, uh, I've oh, definitely cycled around in 30 years. Thankfully, I'm, uh, we're in a pretty dang good place. That's great. Okay. Number three, and we're going to have to, yeah, number three, uh, what is the one thing in the industry or your business that's keeping you up at night? Oh, I'm having no trouble sleeping right now. Good for you. <laughs> and actually, that's we'll leave it at that because that's what people need to hear. This isn't all doom and gloom. You know what I mean? Oh no. So. You know, we we just we just had a franchise uh, council meeting, and uh, we were actually having some fun and ringing our bell with our success. And one of the things we were saying is here in the middle of everybody kind of getting headlines talking about how challenging it is with people and all this. All you got to do is go into our restaurants and and meet incredible people who are doing great work and say, you know what? <laughs> it's not all doom and gloom, baby. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know if you have like a bonus program at the stores or whatever, but like I have a buddy and he runs a sub shop system out here. They're like 30, 20 to 30 units. And he's like, and ever since the pandemic started and they went to all online orders, He's like, my employees are making 10 bucks an hour in tips. The entire crew is every hour. So they're making like $25 an hour making sandwiches, you know? And then they're a very popular store here in Denver, uh, stores, chain. But he's like, oh, we got to oh, yeah. 25 bucks an hour, uh, 15 an hour. What? Yeah, it, is, it is crazy how much you can make in a restaurant right now. It is, it is off the rails. It is, yeah. it is crazy. I mean, our industry is in such a cool place if uh i mean it'll be nice when when things free up and people are uh, you know people are, are working a little bit more but uh but our industry uh you gotta have pricing power yeah you know right now you just gotta have a concept uh 
that delivers value to customer in some other way than being cheap. You darn well better be delivering great value through, you know, the basics of our business and some great differentiating part of your business. Cause you, if you can't price up right now, if you can't take price, then I got to believe you're pretty well screwed at this point. <laughs> well, and realistically you just, there is no other option. You have to raise prices. Yeah. Everything's getting more expensive. Like we can't ignore that. Like, I feel like the industry, there's like, look at that kind of, I put this in a blog the other day, but like we've needed to raise prices for years because people are getting more and more pay and we're, you know what I mean? And so like, and, and we're having all this turnover and these increased hiring costs. And the fact is, is that, like you said, like, you know, you just got to raise prices. There's just no way around it. Like, you know, if you're going to vote for people who are going to raise the salaries of everybody, then, you know, you have to also expect that that price is going to be shuttered by the consumer, right? And yeah, just, just thank God that we've staked our reputation on being the place that's uh, better yeah, that that's faster, that has the technology that gives value to to exactly. the customer. So we've been building pricing power into our model for a long, long time. And thank God, thank God, we haven't staked our reputation on being the cheap discount provider because that would. This is not when you want to be that person. No, well, and the re the reality is, there's always somebody who can be the low cost leader better than because they can. They're willing to take a bigger loss until you out of business so it's a bad competitive advantage anyways but yeah like, i mean it's a different business model i i respect those you know those those people who have staked out that place and have that place but you can only really have one that can actually do that make, make it yeah exactly better not fight with them just let them have that exactly um, I had another thing I wanted to mention and then it's spa I spaced it. So, you know, that's some expert podcast hosting for you. <laughs> okay, number four, I don't come back to me. What is the one thing you thought the industry would be doing right now that it isn't? Huh? Um, I guess it depends on what the time horizon is. Uh, you know, certainly uh, the world is a little bit different at this point than what I thought it would have been two years ago. I thought we would get to here, but I thought it would be two or three years from now. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't know how to answer that. I, I, I believe that what we've seen here in, uh, in technology and convenience and delivery, uh, you know, from the day I started in the business uh, 30 years ago, uh, well, 40 years ago to today, delivery and convenience has just gone one direction um, as a percentage of business. And it jumped up in the last uh, 15 months, uh, but it's not going backwards. Um, I don't, I don't know. I guess, I guess, uh, I guess I wouldn't know how to, to, to think about it. It hasn't been overly surprising. We spend a lot of time studying what, what's going. And, uh, certainly I didn't predict the COVID stuff, but I think the outcomes are somewhat predictable. Sure. Yeah. I, I would, I would like to see, and I, People who listen to every episode are like, dude, you've said this like six other times, but I still feel it's true. Like you and you mentioned this earlier in the in the, the show, you know, I feel like the restaurant industry needs to speak up for itself. And and part of the reason why we can't get people to work is because of the fact that we've allowed the comedians, which I was a stand-up comic, but I never made fun of restaurants, but we've allowed like, you know, popular culture to say, oh, you worked at McDonald's. Well, you know what? Yeah, I know a guy who worked at McDonald's in the 60s and then sold 16 McDonald's for like $30 million in the 90s. So, you know what I mean? Like we have to stand up for ourselves and be like, these aren't garbage jobs. You, this is this, the restaurant industry can be a career and in a lot of ways, a way better career than you're going. You want to be the head AP person at a big company. Ooh, that's so exciting, right? You're going to sit at your desk for the next 
50 years, you know, doing 48 weeks a year at your desk, processing invoices, which is going to get automated out by AI anyways? Or do you want to be driving around, visiting stores, talking to people, you're jumping from different segments throughout your career. So you might spend some time in QSR, you might be fine dining, you might open restaurants, you might become a chain president. You know what I mean? Like, I think the restaurant industry does a horrible job of going, hey, we're actually a super cool industry. You're not stuck at a desk, you're walking around, you're doing things, it's always different, you know? Like, I don't know. That's what I would say is the thing the industry stinks at. We like preach to ourselves, but you know, put us some money on TV. Show celebrities in a magazine that started in the restaurant industry, you know? Make you it know, I, I I love it. I uh you're right. It's uh it's like a counterculture kind of yeah. uh, thing because to love restaurants and dedicate yourself to the restaurant business. You have to do more than get over that uh, bullshit uh, image that's out there. You have to actually embrace the opposite. You kind of have to have a little bit of a screw you attitude. I don't know what I can say on your uh, podcast. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Cause I wanted to say something a little different, but uh, I think that's a big part of, of restaurants. I, I mean, certainly in our culture, uh, it's uh i mean we always we we say that that it's like vampires it's like a secret counterculture inside in, inside the world you know that um we believe in what we do uh we value what we do we know the world secretly values what we do um we pat each other on the back we laugh our way to the bank um yeah we uh, we don't have to take a day off to go uh, to go to the doctor on a Tuesday afternoon. We've got you know all just tons of advantages, flexibility. Uh, it's a it's a fun life. I I'm, I'm with you. I like it. I think that I think that's good. Well, you said something interesting. Counterculture that could be like punny, right? Like it's a counterculture, as in you know. This is where people go who don't want to be the stiffs in a suit, if you will, you know, working the nine to five corporate job, which that doesn't really exist anymore. You yeah. Know, so. As you as we're talking, I, I did a search on a woman with tattoos, arms crossed, and I'm looking at pictures of like these women that are standing there with tattoos on their arms. And I'm picturing that as like the, the picture of the toppers pizza team member in yeah. a, in a help wanted ad kind of defiantly looking out like, Oh yeah, you're going to look down at me. Yeah. Um, because there's a little element of that, of that screw you, I think to the people that are really a fit. Yeah. And I mean, too, you're not, you're, you're already, you're, you know, you're not the nine to five Monday to Friday job. Yeah. You're going to work some weekends. Yeah. You're going to touch some plates and someone's food's going to touch your thumb once in a while. And you know, yeah, you're gonna, you know, be sweaty and, and work your butt off. But you know what? You're also not going to be you know, pushing. You're not going to be just looking at spreadsheets all day either. And so, <laughs> right? So, okay. So, last question give me a war story. Give me something funny, cringeworthy, can't believe we got through it type of story. Um, okay. Well, I'll just go ahead and do my COVID war story then. Um, sure. I, uh, you know, there was, uh, on Friday, uh, I don't know what the date was in March, but, uh, we were doing, <laughs> I was doing a, doing a photo shoot with a professional football player. That's a spokesperson for us at one of our restaurants. Uh, the next day, uh, you know, I was going to the beach with my family uh, and uh, finished that Saturday on the phone with uh, some franchisees that were tripping out about uh, COVID and what might happen. The next day, I started with my team having a every Monday morning or every single day meeting at uh, 
at uh, nine o'clock in the morning to talk about it. I came back from the beach uh, and within three days of that day, I was actually worried if uh, we were gonna get closed down, if family was gonna die, if, you know, it was that time period that we all lived through. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I personally took what investments I had that weren't, aren't already inside toppers and I, I liquidated it and had it in cash ready to basically try to save the business of mine if it needed to and, and franchisees and our sales over the next four weeks or so uh, just dropped off a cliff. Um, and, uh, you know, we, uh, we quickly in these daily meetings, which were seven days a week, uh, you know, we were meeting with franchisees and pulling in team members and uh, we made changes. We, uh, we added service channels, we messaged differently. We uh, obviously did everything that needed to be done to try to, you know, connect with our team members, give them safe, uh, safe as we could environments to work in. Um, there was a point where I, I hate to say this, but I actually, because we didn't know what was going to happen, I had this calm that came over me like that our business was going to fail and we, everything would be lost, but that my kids came home from college. Uh, we were all together and, uh, I mean, I was working my ass off of course, seven days a week, but, uh, I had this calm that if all was lost, that uh, you know, hopefully the things that mattered would be safe and and we'd be okay. Um, and uh, you know what happened is that uh, delivery restaurants were kind of declared essential uh, essential businesses, and uh, you know it was just such a massive relief just to learn that. Uh, and hear government officials saying that delivery restaurants were an essential part of 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 the food chain, uh, and uh, we got this incredible pride. It actually became a real rallying cry uh, that we were feeding people. That uh, you know we we were important to the world, and uh, that uh, you know it wasn't just potentially going to save our business, but it was a way that we were uh, making a difference in the world that we were kind of putting ourselves out there on the front lines. And I'm, I'm really not being dramatic. I mean, I, I really do appreciate first responders and people in hospitals and everything that, that happened during COVID, these people in these uncertain places serving their fellow man. And I'm going to put restaurant people and grocery store people and other people in food food chain. I'm going to put them right in there. Uh, Absolutely. People had to, people had to be fed. Food had to get to people's houses. Um, people were hunkered down, and uh, it really became a, a source of pride in our business. That although many people were scared as shit for a lot of different reasons, that uh, we were in fact doing something that was absolutely imperative to our, uh, to, in our communities. And, uh, over, uh, you know, over the course of, of, of the following few weeks, uh, you know, our business came back with gusto as, uh, as, uh, people started to get money from, from, uh, stimulus as, uh, people started to kind of put their head, poke their heads out of their doors and have some hope that maybe we weren't all going to die, uh, <laughs> you know, and uh, we uh, we went from basically the ashes and, and many of us worrying that this is it uh, to tell you the truth, the top of the mountain, we, uh, you know, by May, June, July, we were up, you know, 20 to sometimes over 30% over the prior year. Um, and to this day, you know, we're still up 15, 20% over last year. I mean, last week, 
we were up 16% over 30%. We have, we last week, it was a 46% two year stack sales increase. Wow. And you know, the experience of, I mean, it's a war story and a, and a scared as shit to, we fought our way through and it worked out a story that, you know, I'm gonna take to my grave with me. Um, I mean, I've got a lot of fun war stories that are kind of that in a restaurant taking a punch. 2009 was a hell of a war story of, I got in some discounting wars back in the 90s where I deserved to have my license to sell food taken away from me permanently. Um, but nothing really covers, I thought that everybody might die and our big business might fail. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Well, Scott, thank you so much for spending some time with us here on the Order Up show. I really enjoyed our conversation. I feel like we're kind of kindred spirits in the restaurant space. And uh, I wish you guys the best of luck and take care, man. Thanks, Tommy. Have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.